Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to DSC's Untamed Heritage, the unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. Delivered in an entertaining and informative fashion, as only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by DSC. Dallas Safari Club, conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, calling as calls made. Double Nickel Taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved. Now, here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Western Texas mule deer hunting on the Eason Ranch got Mr. John Eason. Jeff Rice and Luke Clayton, and these guys have been hunting along with me for the last several days, and this is a pretty interesting place you got here, Mr. Easton. Thank you. It's uh, it's we kind of fall in love with a place. It's a uh, it's special to us. It is a special place. Yeah, I mean, with between all the the terrain that's here, the relief in terms of the terrain. The rocks that are here, the fossils that you and I kind of walked around looking for this morning picked up, and then you got whitetail and mule deer, and we've seen turkeys as well. Turkeys, javelina, a little bit of predator hunting if you like to do that. And I think y'all kept running like we did into porcupines as well, too. (laughs) We did. Saw porcupines, skunk. Yeah, the hog nose skunk, which is a yeah. skunk. It has no, it's just a solid white stripe all the way across. Mm-hmm. They're pretty much restricted to this western part of the country. We've got a wide variety of skunks out here. There's a little bit of ever making model, I think there is. Well, you showed me some photographs of, of a skunk that's got the most unique color pattern I have ever seen. Almost looked mottled. Yeah, yeah. It looked kind of like, you know, I've seen civet cats in certain parts of the world that are kind of like that, but it's just kind of a, Calico modeled, you know, just unbelievable yeah. color. That's Pretty your uh, Transpecus spotted skunk. That's the trans. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that is. 
Well, we're here trying to shoot a mule deer. One of the great things about living in Texas is that we have the MLD permit, which allows landowners that qualify based upon the, their uh, management probes to hunt well after the regular seasons are closed. And of course, y'all have been on a management probe here for a while, and you were telling me. Uh, I think actually uh, your brother told me that the real estate agent in this venture was Gary Robertson with who owned Burnham Brothers game called Gary's a very dear friend and somebody I get to hunt with every once in a while as well too. So y'all bought this ranch how long ago? We've had 16 years now. 16 years. And we've pretty much been on, started our management program when we first bought the ranch and high protein feed and, and corn. We have uh 17 feeders and box blinds, one-ton feeders that uh, keep feed to them year-round. That's going to make a difference, I'll tell you. I get tickled sometimes because a lot of folks until just more recently didn't think you could do anything with mule deer like that. Some of these mule deer are crazy. Like I told you this morning, I had one come up to the feeder one day and after the feeder went off and uh, he jumped in, took a few bites of corn and laid down right under the feeder and went to eat. <laughs> And just laid there and eating. And when I come back, was telling some of the hunters around here about it, they they laughed and told me I was crazy. And I said, "Well, come on, we're gonna go back and watch him again." And sure enough, he come back in, and there he was. He did the same exact thing: three or four bites, laid down, went to eating. He, he had it figured out. I mean, he, you know, he, I get tickled sometimes. That's a perfect illustration that, as far as I'm concerned, some of these years, well, farther east, we have a tremendous acorn crop. You know, they say if you, you know, hunt between the bedding ear and the feeding ear, and if that deer laying down and reaching out there and grabbing, you know, where it can with his mouth, if you get between that bedding ear and that feeding ear out there, you're going to be pretty close. <laughs> yes, sir. And that's kind of the way that mule deer was. <laughs> yeah, he, he had it figured out. He wasn't wasting any, any energy bending over. He just laid down and got down there with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is an absolutely fantastic ranch. You and I have been hunting together. Guess what? First afternoon, we get out, we see a porcupine, we see a, a, a little white-tailed deer and small white-tailed or mule deer buck, and my two compadres over here that I do the, uh, I get privileged to do the Sportsman's Life TV segments with, guess who shot a mule deer that first afternoon? How did that happen, Luke? That was just, you know, usually old Luke is the one that's the last minute, the last <laughs> day. I, I might get one. Well, this one, we had plenty of light. Jeff filmed this whole thing. He had a good light for the, the shot. I mean, probably a good 30, 40 minutes maybe before dark. Right. And he cut, there was a, a, what probably would be called a cold mule deer buck, a spike on one side and a fork, come in very cautiously. It took that deer 15 minutes to get up within where we were. Jeff spotted him out of the left side of the blind. Just a little movement, I started looking, finally I saw him. And he would just come to one bush and stop and look and come a little closer and stop and look. He got on in there. Well, all of a sudden, you know, those big ears went up and he started looking back in the brush. So we knew something good was about to happen. Well, something good did happen, didn't it, Jeff? It sure did. We knew there was something out there he was watching and, and all of a sudden Luke said, there's horns. Here comes a big one. And we were just, actually, it's kind of funny because we were being entertained by two porcupines. And it's the most amazing thing, watching them climb the little feeder pens, and they turn around and climb back down into the pen and start feeding on corn. And 
and then uh, all of a sudden that that big buck came in and yeah I, I will say this uh, I've hunted in Colorado and actually me and a buddy outfitted up there for uh, eight years total I was involved seven years elk and bear and long long drive for a Texan to go to steamboat it's about 18 hour drive hauling all your stuff up there and then we'd have few we'd have about five hunters in, in camp elk and bear well all that time the mule deer were driving me absolutely nuts. Nobody <laughs> drew for the tags. Nobody could legally hunt them. They just didn't do right, it. They were right. after elk and bear. So I've always had a passion for mule deer, but to have a place in, it, from, from Texas, I, I live not far from Dallas, about 30 miles, six hours, and I'm out here with, with Mr. Easton here in the, in the Trans-Pecos area where there are mule deer. I don't have to draw a tag, you know, I can come out here and, and actually, like you said, Larry, we're at the MLD time and we're well into the new year and I think through the third week. Yeah, te Texas, typically most of your places, uh, if they're not MLD, you, first weekend after Thanksgiving, the hunting season opens for mule deer and runs for two weeks only. Yes. Exactly. Ours actually starts the first weekend of November during regular rifle season uh -huh. and runs till the third weekend of January, being we're MLD. We have a yeah. long and season. With, with whitetail, it runs into February, doesn't White it? Whitetail runs into February. Typically, we don't really hunt too much in February. Right. Uh, yeah. We're, we're going to start changing our feeders over and start our protein feeding session a little earlier to try to, like, I talking to Mr. Wysoon about trying to get uh, bigger and better. Yeah, and yeah. Get them started a little earlier on that program and then, uh, yeah. Well, as these bucks come out of the rut, that's a, such an important time for them, particularly some of the really active breeding bucks. And like in Whitetail, that's usually two, three, and four-year-old deer. And then the mule deer is probably three, four, and five-year-old deer. And some two-year-old deer. And the sooner you can get those deer on a really good sound nutrition they would chance to recover that much quicker. Well, that's kind of what we're about here. We we manage it hard. We whitetail deer. We try to stay at least five and a half year old and up. Mule deer are harder to age, so we generally go by rack. Try to right get the bigger, more mass, heavier racks, and you know, and let the little feathers grow. It makes a difference. It really does. A lot of mule deer, for years they said that mule deer had their best antlers at like 8, 9, and 10 years old. And I'm still kind of subscribed to that a little bit. But the recent research that they've been doing, particularly where there's been supplemental feed involved, like on oh, the Apache Ranch out there just north of Kent, they're finding that they're very similar to whitetail, that, you know, five, four, five, six, and they don't need to get in those older age classes. But still, it's nice to have a bunch of those older deer in those extreme age classes, as far as I'm concerned. Well, we've had we've had deer that we've we've harvested here that you know five and a half year old mule deer weighing 250 pounds, and it's the very first it's time deer. I ever met you. You told me that was unheard of in this country. And, it is, and we've got them. I mean, they're here. And as far as the whitetails go, 185 pound whitetails in West Texas desert country. and They don't exist. <laughs> they do here, but well, we've got them. And it's, yeah. it's because we manage hard and we feed hard. Yes, sir. We feed year round. A lot of, a lot of the ranches, they'll, they'll start a couple months ahead of 
the hunting season, start feeding them a little bit, getting them used to coming to the feeders again. But we feed year round. Uh, free free choice protein. We're going to start February and we'll do it till September, and then we'll swap over to our our corn feeders. But uh, you know, it, and, and it helps that protein with your your little ones, with the with the mamas nursing Absolutely. and stuff. They've got the protein going through their system that the little ones getting, so it makes them get bigger and better. It does. It does. There's no question about it. It's making a lot of differences on some of these places, and, and here, obviously, based upon you know what I've seen and what we've looked records we've looked at. And, oh my gracious, this is fantastic! And these are desert mule deer. These are the uh, it's Otocolis hemionus crookai is the subspecies here, as opposed to the ones you find farther north up in New Mexico, parts of northern New Mexico and then into Colorado. Those are Rocky Mountain mule deer. And they have a tendency to be a little bit larger anyway in body just simply so they can make it through the, the harsh winters that they have here or there. But what you're doing with these deer, you're getting those deer in those same weight classes as one of those big mule deer are up there. We're trying. I don't I don't know that we'll ever accomplish that. I mean, but, you know, we're giving them the best shot they can have. And I think that's the way to do it. You're showing these deer, these are native deer. There's been no gene infusion or anything like no, that. These are just native deer, and to me, that's really the way that I, from a personal perspective, that I like to see people do things. You know, let's let's see if this native population can produce, and y'all are producing some really nice deer. Well, we in both whitetail and mule deer. You know, we're we're a working ranch. We have sheep and we have goats, and we keep mineral and salt and uh, sulfur blocks out to them year round, and. I've had some of the biologists tell me, well, they won't eat that stuff. Well, I beg to differ because I sit there and watch them do it. <laughs> and it's just like our ranch over in New Mexico. We've got a ranch over there with antelope, a lot of antelope on it. And I started taking sulfur blocks over there and putting them out around there. And the biologists over in New Mexico said, well, antelope won't eat that stuff. I've got pictures where the blocks were gone and they've dug holes two foot deep eating the dirt that was in there from it. And we've got quite a population of antelope, and we have some really big. We've harvested quite a few Boone and Crockett antelope off our Yes, range. sir. Yes, sir. Again, it's, you're giving those animals every opportunity to to do that in, in terms of supplementation that what you're giving them. Because a lot of times it's those little trace minerals that people don't realize are, can be so very important. Right. In terms of, of starting from the time that fetus starts to farm to the mother nursing that that younger and then that growth pattern of, of that young animal going into those older age classes. And you, you're doing basically to me the same thing in New Mexico with the pronghorn is what you're doing here and just giving them what they need. Right. I mean, our mineral that we put here for the sheep and goats, uh, not like cattle, you, you don't pin them and work them and worm them and stuff and right. often and it's just not economically feasible for one thing and it's a pain to do it for another thing in this mountain country trying to get them pinned. Oh my gracious. But we put a uh, diamaceous earth, we mix it in our mineral. Right. And that acts as a wormer. Yes, sir. And so the deer's getting some of that. Absolutely. Too. Absolutely. And you know, you, you, we were looking right now right yesterday and you were telling me about this one spot that where the soil had accumulated where that may be kind of what that is. I don't know what's in that one spot. It's it's up one canyon, the only place I've seen it on the ranch, but the deer go there and there'll be a hole where they just licking that soil and eating that soil. I'll be darned. 
that there's something in it. There's some yes, kind sir. of mineral right there in that just that one. And and you notice the soil was a lot darker. It's totally different. Yes, sir. Anything around it. Totally different. And uh, I don't know what's there, but it's something they like. That's interesting. I mean, I found that extremely interesting that they would come to that one spot. Maybe there's some little outcropping or something up that canyon that's leached its way down to there. And, and it, it's kind of like a, there's a bunch of brush and vegetation where it's kind of like a little flat area right there right. That, where it's all accumulated. It's in, you know, when the creek creek draw, dry creek bed draw there, that, like I say, something's come out of the rock somewhere and washed down and it gathers right there in that one particular spot. You know, that, that's interesting to me. Up in New Mexico, I've got a friend up there that I've hunted mule deer with a little, a few times. And there's a spot on his place that, that the mule deer and the elk come to. He showed it to me. And he, he didn't really have the answer, but he said, I mean, he could just look like a salt lick. Maybe it was a salt lick, a natural salt lick. I don't yeah. know. But he said there's some mineral in there. And, uh, man, it just like a, you know, feeding site for, for cattle or something. Yeah. So uh, that's interesting. Uh Natural, yeah. I mean, you know, before people were putting out supplemental stuff, well, uh, critters knew where to. They do. They've probably been, I don't know, they might have been hitting that eons. Ago. They probably have. They yeah. probably have. Yeah. And it's funny you talk about that. We had a little ranch up there in Georgia because we're from Florida and I moved out here 11 years ago to take over this ranch and run it. Mm. And uh, in Georgia, they have salt blocks that are natural salt blocks that we put out for the deer up there and they they loved them. So I brought some out here and put them around at our feeder sites. They wouldn't touch them. Never, never touched them. So I just loaded them up, carried them back to Georgia. <laughs> exactly. But I don't know why the deer out here just wouldn't eat them. They don't have to because they got that little spot. <laughs> it, it very well may be. It, you know, that's crazy. Uh, the thing about salt and I've seen this happen, and it's a good case in point. By my house for 17 years, a mile from my house, I had access to, to hunt tons of hogs. It's in the Trinity Basin, you know, right. a lot of water to hunt these hogs. And, and uh, I put out uh, salt blocks. And, you know, the deer, you think just deer, but hogs love it too. Oh, sure do. So I was away from I lost access to the place where I can't hunt it anymore. Well, two years later, I went back in there, the new owners and all, and they, they let me back in there to get my stuff off, right? My feeders and all that. Where I had been putting that salt for years as a whole, you know, the hogs had really created a, a like a little wallow or somewhat there. And they dug in. There was, I'm not kidding you, two years later, it had been a rain, the soil was wet. Hog tracks everywhere in there, mm -hmm. in that hole. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't put any salt in there in a couple of years. But it just kind of naturally leached, leached in, in, in there, there. right? Yeah. So a salt, I guess a natural <clears throat> salt lick would be the same thing. You yeah, know, exactly. Right? So well, yeah, yeah, that's like those antelope over there. When once that block was gone, they were in that ground. They just went into the ground right there where it was at. Just they know. I guess a wild critter knows yeah. that kind of right, stuff. And I got a spot where I'll put salt blocks on my place, and and when they when they're gone, I'll put another one there. But now it's it's almost like a crater. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean they've dug it yeah. up the deer and the hogs, and of course I've got a trail cam there, so I I know what's going in there. But yeah, they love it. They absolutely they'll go uh, in there, and when those blocks are gone, they'll start eating that dirt. I'm mm -hmm. not sure you couldn't if that's all you had. 
you could hunt over that salt and, and do Literally pretty good. good. You, you could. It, it, well, we're talking about this. I know we got people listening to this from different states. You really want to check your, your local regulations because in some areas we're not allowed to do any supplemental feeding, any kind of baiting. And in some areas, salting in an area is considered baiting. So yep. I would suggest very much to pay attention to what we're saying. But before you go out and say, man, I need to put out a whole bunch of salt on my place, check your local regulations to see whether or not your state does allow you to do that kind of thing. Good point. But if you're in Texas, go get you some salt blocks, right, Larry? Absolutely. I mean, we're fortunate here in Texas that we've got some very progressive and, and understanding uh, game laws when you get right exactly. down to it. And I think a big part of that comes down to the fact that uh, we're 95% privately owned and and therefore what wildlife exists pretty much exists on private land and anything we can do to enhance that land for wildlife you know the for the most part the uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and, and other state regulatory situations involved I guess you know let us do a lot of things but thank God we, you know thank God we live in Texas kind of thing. Jeff how many times have you been out in mule deer country? Well, in Texas, this is the first time uh, I've hunted in Montana. I right. have a friend that has a ranch in northern Montana. I've hunted mule deer up there and shot one. But but here, this is the first time, and this country is amazing. John, you have one heck of a beautiful place here. Thank you. And, and to see these animals out here in, in, in the hills and, and just just the terrain, it's it's just one amazing place. Absolutely Thank you very beautiful. much. Kind of breathtaking in a lot of different ways. And I promise you, if we were walking these mountains right now, it wouldn't be breathtaking. It would be my breathtaking. I've had more fun with my cameras, my video and my, my still cameras, over this last couple of days taking pictures and video. Just absolutely stunning. It is. This, this country is, it, it's a high desert. It's a dry, arid, thirsty country when you get right down to it. And I want to come back. A lot of these draws... As we've been driving in some of these low spots, John, you keep pointing out where there were people that lived here many, many years ago. And apparently the water table at one time, before we did all the irrigating and all that kind of thing farther north, the water table was probably a, a lot higher and a lot of these little draws and creeks probably ran. But we're not the first people to be in this country, are we? No, I've found literally hundreds of Indian campsites or a lot of what we have here are paleo and archaic sites which predate what we commonly know as the Indians or Native Americans and uh, I just I call them the ancient ones yes I agree that's just my story with them is the ancient ones and yeah campsites typically you find where they're on the north sides of, of these creek beds these draws and stuff and all the caves that are here on the ranch that they use were they'll all be on the south facing slopes where they get that in the winter time they were getting that sun out of the south and the winds coming out of the north and northwest so they were out of the wind and in, into the most sun and uh it's interesting to just as we were doing today i was riding along there and stopped and backed up and he's wondering what i saw if i saw a deer or something and no, I didn't see a deer. I saw an airhead laying there. And well, so you, I stopped you really up. messed me up for the rest of the trip, I <laughs> want to tell you, because I love hunting artifacts and all those kind of things. And I'm off looking off in the hills, you know, with deer over here. And John's over looking at the ground. Finally, he, we stop, we back up. Sure enough, he picks up, you know, a scraper and a point and all that kind of thing, laying there just in the road, not close to water or anything. And 
the next thing he's pointing out, you, can, you know, if the sun's hitting right, you can see the sun glinting off the, you know, the chips of the chert and the, the flint. So I uh, quit looking for deer off in the hillside. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the Got ground. a sidetrack, you know. Yeah. I've, over the years, I used to hunt South Texas and old brush country a lot. And that country there, too, has, has been inhabited by some form of man for many, many years. And, and I'd find a broken point or find a, a midden or something like that. And I'm looking at the ground. And I have no idea how many big bucks I've walked by. I know several that I surprised and surprised me. Because I was looking at the ground and all of a sudden would stand there looking at you kind of thing. You go, oh, God, if I'd just been looking where I was supposed to, I could have had a chance at that buck. Yeah, well, arrowhead hunting, it's, it's a very habit-forming. Once you find your first piece and your eyes get trained to look, like I say, I was riding along there and running 10, 15 miles an hour, and all of a sudden <laughs> I see this piece and I back up and, you know, I could see, I saw that it was worked. Right, you see. As the, I went by, it, I could see yeah. the, the flaking in yeah, it. Yeah, the flaking or the flitting on it, yeah. And, uh, but, uh, so, so, John, on the right behind us here on the hill is, is a cave. So up up right near that cave, have you found quite a few oh, yeah. uh, arrowheads up on that area? I would assume you probably Yeah, know, we right? found a lot up there, and uh, the, the goats get up there, and they'll paw them out of spot in the ground where they can lay down. They'll paw the rock out of the way and, and lay down in it because it's... <laughs> Blocked from the wind a lot up there. You go up there every, every few months and you'll see where they've dug out a new spot and you'll find point laying there a lot yeah. of times. One thing that uh, interesting to me is a dugout you was talking about somewhere. Uh, old old dugout homestead. Well, that'd been like maybe the 1800s or. 18. Yeah, most likely. That, and it was common back in those days, I've read, to dig a hole in there and put some timbers around it. Right. That's that's kind of what it is here. There's some of the posts that you still see sticking up out of the ground now, around, around one of them. And yes, <laughs> it'd be hard to imagine how tough those people, had, how hardy those people had to be to live there. You know, though, it, everything's relative. Right. They, they didn't know about no. running water. They didn't know about no. propane. They didn't know about electricity. So, you know, like, to them, they may have been thinking, they, I'm in this dug, I'm in high cotton. It'd be God. like, yeah, you yeah. Know, this central is, heat this, there. Yeah, this is, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're in the ground and by golly, the, the wind's not going to hit us here and, yeah. you know, and it's going to stay cooler in the summertime. They had to so, look at it like that. So, you know? like I said, they, they didn't know, you know, for one of us to go back and live that way, it'd be tough. Well, you talk about the Pueblo and the the heat and the, the right central air and heat and all the over in New Mexico over there where we're at there were a lot of the Pueblo Indians over there yes sir right which are you know they're thousand years ago mm -hmm. and found pits where they had their their complex of pueblos around their little community their little <laughs> towns and there would be a big pit dug there and at the bottom of those pits there's a rectangular usually most of them I've seen are a rectangular hole, look like a a brick that you put on the side of your home. Yes, sir. And those things had little tunnels that went off, and they'd come up in the rooms of the other buildings around it, and they'd have a fire down in that big pit. So and that was their heating they system. They had central heating right there. Oh, a thousand years ago, and it, it just totally amazed me the first time I ever saw it. Now, now that's I was interesting. To, that that is. Is. You know, you in other words, in the bottom of this hole, there'd be a like a duct system from... Oh, the hole would be six, eight foot deep down there. Most of them that I've seen were a round circle, would be 10, 12 foot across, six, eight foot deep. 
and tried to figure out what's this for and then get walked around looking at some of the ruins and you find a ruin and here's a little hole that comes up out of the bottom of right. it. Right, I've seen that. I know what you're talking about. And it's just like an air conditioner duct. Right. Like it's in this, this mobile home here we're in right now. Comes up out of the ground and, and the heat would... That's the only thing it could right. be. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty amazing. It is real amazing when you think about it. And too, they they'd have irrigation systems set up, you know, all over some of those areas. Right. In in terms of getting water, and again, the water tables were a lot higher than they are now, and uh, so they didn't have to dig as deep, or there were natural springs coming out of a lot of these places. You know, one time too, probably you, you mentioned, Mister John, there were buffalo in this country as well too. Right. And I would assume there was a fair number of black bears scattered in through here. I'm sure there was years and years and years ago. But of course, naturally in Texas, there, there were elk which became extinct and yes. then they reintroduced them and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah there, there were Miriam's elk, which are some of the bigger, antlered, bigger bodied deer elk there were. And uh, there was somebody, you, you talked to the right person over on that White Mountain Apache area there in Arizona, New Mexico. They say that those probably are remnants of the Miriam subspecies as opposed to the Canadensis and probably, other subspecies. Probably the, the elk that are around that Gila over in the over yes, in New that's Mexico. What, yes, for that from Gila over into uh, to Arizona right there because that Apache reservation is not that terribly far. Because truly, you you look at that place over there and it, it, you don't typically think of it being a or yeah. elk country. No, that's Everybody right. thinks of elk country, your high country, your aspens and your, your black timber, spruce and everything, more so than cedar, cedar ridge country. Well, I know you don't, probably don't have any on this ranch, but there's elk scattered all over this oh, yeah. western part of the state, and particularly a little bit farther south and a little bit farther west down you know, in the Glass well, Mountains. And... Six miles, six, eight miles south of me right here, a friend of mine, he's got some elk on his place yeah. just free range. Yeah, I mean, they, and these bulls here, of course, they're in, in the state of Texas, they're considered exotic, even though they were native in this country at one time. As a result of that, there is no specific hunting season. You can hunt them year-round, year yeah. landowner permission, and so a lot of these hunts here in Texas are right during the peak of the bugling season where you can hunt them with a rifle, bow, handgun, muzzleloader, crossbow, it doesn't make you, you know, whatever, and, and uh, they're taking some really big, bulls. There's not uncommon in some of these areas to shoot 400 class bulls. Yeah, there's some big ones around. Hmm. I've seen numerous elk down there in the uh, old, that glass ranch, I mean glass mountain country there just north of Marathon. They were absolutely big, big bodies and then you go down farther into the Big Bend there, the National Park area and we've seen them down there in the Chinatis and the Chizos and all over those areas. Over that area. Yeah, they all scattered in through it throughout that area kind of thing. Like I say, I, you know, I'm, I'm from Florida originally, born and raised there and moved out here 11 years ago and I'm still learning about this country and I put in a lot of work to learn to hunt this country here on our ranch and and uh, keep up with what's, what's going on where. And a lot of times, you know, I, I've got certain bucks I pick out that I pattern and right. I know where they're going to be and when they're going to be there. And then sometimes they throw you a curve. And sometimes they throw us a big curve. They, this weather these last couple of weeks has been has been crazy. Well, you actually had a substantial snow here not very long ago. I, I was farther east here a little bit. And we had where I was, we had a sleet 
more than anything else to have snow, but then a lot of the other part of the state of Texas. We had we had 12 inches of snow here on the ranch, and a lot of the people that's been here all their life lived right here in this little area all their life, had never seen it like that. And I got the bright idea that I'm gonna go up on top of the mountain up there and check some things out. And didn't pan out too well that uh, four foot deep drifts up there and those Polaris Rangers don't play well in the snow like that. No. <laughs> I spent 30 minutes digging it out where I could get back on some solid ground to go back down the mountain. With the snow, did you see any, any game movement much or did they kind of oh, hold it, tight? Or? No, they locked down like I've never seen. <laughs> yeah. And they've still not moving like they were this because this weather's been crazy. Yeah. I mean, cold, we've, we've been in the 20s every night just about. And during the peak of that, that storm, we were at 11 degrees and below that for several days. And they just, boy, they just did not move. You wouldn't see one anywhere. And I had a hunter that I just kept apologizing to him because I mean, they're, they're always here, but they're not here right now. And luckily we, uh, good Lord shined down on us. And the last day of his hunt, we, we got him a nice mule deer that morning and went that afternoon and got him a nice whitetail. You know, John, that's one thing that, that impressed me. Uh, John has been a guest on my radio show several times. I think three times, four yeah, times. Yeah, it's going to be more. Now we got a lot to talk Amen. about. You know, but, but the fact that you offer, uh, for a p person looking for a place to hunt, free range, wild country, I honestly, I don't know a better place, but you offer hunts for mule deer, Combo hunts if they want to stay. I think you said I don't know six or seven days. Six uh, days, seven nights. And days. it would take that in wild open country to hunt, get you a mature whitetail or a mature desert mule deer. Man, that's just you know that's that's something right there uh, that I that I will personally highly recommend. Man, somebody mm -hmm. looking for a place to to hunt. Good accommodations. You know? Just a fantastic place. Just a good good. Well, we're, range hunting. You know, we're, we're not a five-star. I mean, if you're looking for a five-star location, this this isn't this is not it. I mean, now if you want five-star hospitality, we aim to please with that. Well, that's a fact. And but like us, you know, we like to cook, you know, camp cooking and all that. And man, it just doesn't get any better as far as far as I'm concerned. You know, have our stuff cooked up and got it. Cook a little while we're here and. Have a good time, man. Well, our, our hunters, they have that option. You know, if they want to do their own cooking, that's great. The, the stove, pots and pans, yep. dishes, everything's here. Spices, the whole nine yards is here. Uh, if they want to do it, if they don't want to cook, then we'll we'll hook you up. And we'll we'll do the cooking for you. When you come in, and there'll be a hot meal ready to go. And yep, yep. You don't have to worry about it. And Cater to who, who, whomever, right? You know, whatever they want. We, we try to, you know, we, we work around with them and how they want to do it. And I, a lot of people said that, you know, we're too cheap. Well, maybe so, but it, it makes us happy. <laughs> well, since we're talking about prices, <clears throat> what are your prices on, on your hunts? Well, like that hunt Mr. Luke was just talking about, we do, uh, if we do uh, six day hunt, seven night, um, we're, we're talking like 5,000, that place to stay, we feed you, everything, uh, 
cleaning, boning out your meat, getting it bagged up, ready to go, and caping your animal out. Uh, if you want it caped out, we'll cape it out. If you just want a euro mount, we'll fix it for a euro mount, get it ready to to take to whoever you want to, to to finish the process because don't have the time usually with a hunter here to to get everything done like right. that. Uh, so, but we'll get it ready to go to taxidermist or whoever to do that stuff. And uh, you know, and we do varied hunts. Uh, you know, just a normal, you know, like a four-day hunt or something like that. You know, for one animal, whether it be whitetail or mule deer. We do a, a 2,500 and that place to stay, you do your own cooking. Like I say, if you decide you want to do that other, then uh, my wife usually does the cooking and, you know, pay her to, to do the cooking for you. She'll get all the food and prepare it and everything. And if you first, first day out, first morning out or whatever, and you get a nice white tail, say, and well, I'd like to go try to get a mule deer now. Okay, well, with $1,500 trophy fee to go out and get the second one. And we usually, a lot of times, we'll throw in the dough with it. You know, just on top of everything else. Yes, sir. That's fantastic. Yes, that, it, it really is. Yeah. No one after been hunting here and, and taking a, a nice mule deer buck you know i mean i've nothing wrong with the, the mountain states i love colorado and all that you compare what you've got here john with going to colorado and putting in your draw and waiting all that you've got to if uh, you've got to you've got the permit got they the don't permit. you know they don't even uh, you know you've got the permit for them and, and all they have to do is just show up and oh that's 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 that, that also well, holds holds true over in New Mexico. Uh, we do the hunts over in New Mexico by state law over there, their law, you get a three, it's, you pick three consecutive days to do your antelope hunt. Now I, we do over there, I do $3,000 place to stay. I feed you, cape the animal out, bag the meat up and all that stuff. And, uh, $3,000 for a three day hunt. And I don't, I just won't let anybody just shoot any antelope. That I like to manage them. Mm -hmm. Most of them don't. Most places don't. If you said there's an antelope shooting, right? No, right. I I don't do that. Yeah. I look at him as no. Nah, let's go find something else. Yeah, let's get a yeah. get a trophy. And for trophies. Yeah. We're, we're going. It, it will be a good trophy. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of seventy five inch up more normally is. It's good much, uh, you know, mm -hmm. It takes takes eighty inch to make Boone and Crockett. And we've killed some that's way up there. Uh, we've killed some, truly some monsters. Could I uh, bring a little question? Uh, be around me very long. You're going to probably get about talk about some camp cooking. Yeah. But I've got a question here that I don't know the answer to. Uh, I've cooked all kind of venison, you know, and elk and, and even bear. You know, I've cooked. It's not hard to do. I do. I've never prepared uh, pronghorn antelope. I, I know nothing about it. I've eaten it one time, and I'll say this: the way it was prepared at that time, maybe they didn't take care of the meat right. Uh, venison was better. How about eating? Uh, eat, eating? Eating? Uh, if, if you, I'm talking about taking care of the meat right and everything. Well, we've we've only had that ranch over there uh, seven, eight years now, maybe. And I knew absolutely nothing about antelope. Okay. Everybody, antelope's not good to eat. 
Well, I'm going to try it. I don't care what it is. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll try anything once. Me too. Much. Except for rattlesnake. I, rattlesnake, I, just, <laughs> I don't want a rattlesnake either. I ain't going to eat no rattlesnake. But uh, <coughs> I cook it. Pretty much all the meat that I cook, wild game. I guess it's a free commercial pitch for whatever. I, I use Larry seasoning salt, garlic powder, and flour. And that is it. Chicken fried, right. I, flour, I mix my seasoning salt and my garlic powder in with my flour and get it all shook up real good and I'll taste it till I get it where my taste buds think it need to be. Yep. And like I say, part of a lot of it maybe is preparation. I get the animals as fast as I can, get it back, get it cleaned out, get it cooled off, washed down, cooled off. And, you know, then I cut it up to, to flour and, and fry it. And like I say, I do, it don't matter whether it's deer, bear, elk, antelope, all that I've had told me all that is not any good. I found out why. Everybody wants to kill the biggest ram they can find. There you go. Sure. Yeah. And they're like chewing a shoe. They're tough. Now you get a young ram or a ewe, and that is some of the good eating. Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. And, but then again, Larry seasoned salt, garlic powder flour. That's it. Bare basics. And, and it is. I think outdoor camp cooking is what I call it. <clears throat> like this mule deer, this buck, I already know uh, a very simple way. Is, you know, he's probably not going to be as tender as a young doe. Go ahead and I'll, I'll use a little deal called a jacquard. It's got a bunch of little uh, needles in it. Or a meat hammer, you know, an mm -hmm. aluminum meat hammer. Mm -hmm. And then I'll put basically, just like you're talking about, John, very similar to the same season. As long as I got some extra garlic powder in there. But I'll also take a little Louisiana hot sauce, put it in a Ziploc bag, dump a little of that in there. I don't know if that helps that much, but it's got a little vinegar in it, so maybe it helps. And then uh, I'll let it sit a lot of times, you know, a few hours or overnight or two or three days, to be honest with you. And then I'll put it in a, you take a good old cast iron skillet, put your little olive oil in there, maybe chip you a little jalapeno up in there with it, mm. and some fresh garlic cloves, little and then you slap those steaks. Mm -hmm. I tell you, that's some of my favorite eating. I, I got, I've got one, you, I, you may have done it before, and I just kind of stumbled across it. It's a, it's a Mexican marinade called Mojo Carrillo. No, no. Hmm. You shake the bottle up, and Mojo boy, you say, that's nasty looking stuff. <laughs> Put the, I'll take the back strap. I'll cut it, you know, about an inch th thick, and then I'll cut it, cut that piece in half where we got it like maybe two butterflies. Like I'll marinate it, put it in a Ziploc bag, marinate it and that stuff overnight. Just get it in there and just, I pour a whole quart bottle of it in that bag and just marinate it in that overnight. Take that stuff out, get you some good bacon. Don't use cheap bacon, get you some good there bacon. You go. yep. Usually take and cut the strip in half, Wrap it around that piece of meat, put a toothpick in it. Get your barbecue grill, hot as you can get it. Take that stuff, and I've got it, my grill's probably about three foot so wide. I'll start laying them all down right on that hot grill. Get them all lined up across there. Pretty much come back and then flip them all over one time. Pink, you want it pink in the middle. Any wild game you cook, if it's not pink in the middle, it's overcooked. It gets tough, it gets chewy. And a lot of people don't like wild game because people tend to overcook it. Mm -hmm. And 
That stuff, your lips will beat your face apart trying to get another bite of it. Good, good eating. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to, to get some of that. I mean, I will. It, it, it is super. I mean, what's it, in it? Do you know? Do you have any idea? I have no clue. I think they put the kitchen sink in there. <laughs> come on, everything, huh? It's got everything. Big jar. You say it's a, it's a quart bottle, like or like a fifth whiskey bottle or whatever. Easily, uh, can you find it pretty easy out in this country? Uh, well, they didn't used to have it at our little old grocery store here in town, and I asked them about getting it, and they can't keep it on the shelf nowadays. Is that right? Everybody's, maybe, everybody's got to use Maybe it. a product of Mexico, or who knows? I don't know. I've got to have some. I'm just, yeah, that's try. why I'm being so inquisitive. Sounds good. I've got to have it. It is. <laughs> you have to look it up and Google it, I guess. Yeah, I'll have to get John to write it down <laughs> for me, because I've already forgotten it. <laughs> you, know, you know, I was talking about cooking the meat pink i had some some hunters come in from indiana and i was doing a wild game cook i had some elk i had bear i think i had some antelope and and deer meat and said, well what are you cooking i said and i told them all that you know elk deer bear oh bear you don't have to cook no bear for us we just come back from canada and we had bear up there where we killed some bear and they cooked it up there and we don't like bear i said just take one bite of mine and then tell me you don't like it there you go. They sit down, they eat, and they got a piece of that bear meat and said, this don't taste nothing like the way we did it. I said, well, I said, the old Indian guy, Native American in Colorado in 1976, come over where I was cleaning one and asked me what I was going to do with it. I told him I'm going to eat it. And he said, son, make sure you get every last scrap of fat off that meat before you fry it or you won't be able to eat it. And I, it's the way I've always done it, cleaned it, no fat and always pink in the middle. Yeah. It's always tender. I killed a big old boar bear. I mean, his teeth are wore down. He's so old, but you can't tell it. It's just as tender as it can be. Sometimes it's what they I eat, too. I don't even tenderize it. No, I just cook it right. I just... Like with bears, sometimes what they eat, I know some that eat fish, and then some that eat berries, and you're going to get different flavor. Well, if you get that fat off there, that's where your flavor's at, it's in that fat. Yeah. You're like it, you know, venison. A lot of people don't realize it, but the last thing you want is venison fat when you're cooking. That's where the, you know, people say the gamey taste, or especially in a buck, but you, you trim that fat, and all of it, trim all it off. Well, in the silver skin and all in, that. In this country here, you know, it, lots of cedar trees, and they eat them cedar berries and stuff, and yeah, and that's where the flavor is. Like mm -hmm. you say, it, it's, it's, in it's stuck in that fat. And sometimes these deer here that we've killed here. They'll have inch and a half, two inches of back fat on them. You told me the one I shot, like if I'd have killed him, uh, what, month, three, two or three weeks ago. Two or three I weeks. I mean, he was a, I thought he was a very healthy deer. Big old hams on him, you know. But you said he'd have been somewhat heavier. Oh, yeah, he would have been, yeah, before that rut started and they got running, running 24-7. Yeah. You know, chasing does. Big old, that old deer had a big old neck on he him, did. you know, for a, probably a three-year-old. Hawk three smelled a, a little bit, too. What now? His hawks. Smell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. When we picked him know. up, I grabbed him by the hog <laughs> by accident. By hand, smelled like hawk for two days. Here's oh. something else I learned. I don't know a lot about mule deer at all. But I learned this from Larry and, and you. I asked this question, you know, okay, well, I looked at the hawks on the deer. And I can look at the hawks on a whitetail. A three-and-a-half-year-old is going to have some black hawks. They're going to start getting black. And, you know. Right. This deer was probably a three-and-a-half, I think y'all told me. That's what I thought he was, too, when I shot him. But I looked, and the hawks were dark, brown, a little black, but they weren't black and waxy like a three-year-old whitetail buck. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's 
typical of mule deer, I guess. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yep. Well, that's neat. But oh. Mr. Larry's the expert on that. Don't don't ask me. <laughs> it, it, it's a learning process every time you go out and hunt. And every you pick time. up some information. Oh, you really do. And I, what to me, one of the great things is sitting around at hunting camps that we've been able to do in the evening a little bit and just listen to people's stories and things like that. It's amazing what you can learn. Yeah, well, that's, absolutely. you know, first time I ever met you, you know, that I was trying to pick your brain on stuff because... I had read your articles, I'd seen your, your shows on TV, and never had the pleasure of meeting you. And that day that I did get get to meet you, and we've kind of been friends ever since. Yeah. I, I haven't left you alone a lot. I, <laughs> I, I appreciate called, that. I've, I've called you and talked to you on the phone and that email. Was, and that stuff. was an absolutely perfect thing because I was a speaker at the, the, the uh, Mulier Foundation right. there in Fort Stockton, and, and I know you've been very much involved with that organization as well. and several different ways as have I and, and it's an absolutely fantastic group of people. It's it's top of the line and the biggest thing about this that Mule Deer Foundation chapter is is all about kids. Most every other chapter and it may be the only one that's pretty much dedicated to the kids that I know of in the state of Texas for it's sure. It's the only one that I know of and as we're sitting here talking we're in in the little camp and I'm looking up on the wall and it says Texas Youth Hunting Program and it gives several years you know with the eastern ranch name on it and you guys have been involved with that texas youth hunting program now for several years we do that we we bring in in fact they were here just before you got here um we bring them in every year uh i'm all about kids uh started out with my own my own boys uh they were actually my stepson and i raised them they're mine they slipped in here the other day and really shocked me and surprised me i didn't know they were coming and uh, kind of got me all choked up thinking about it right now. And uh, but it's all about the kids. And it is. I get a bigger thrill out of taking a kid out hunting than anybody else. Well, that's such a fantastic program. We started. I was involved with the formation of the Texas Wildlife Association, and through the Texas Wildlife Association, we formed the Texas Youth Hunting Program. And I haven't seen the latest figures for this year, but uh, we've taken somewhere in the neighborhood of 35,000 kids on hunts throughout the state of Texas. And I think the total number that when you look at people introduced, meaning that that child has to come with a parent or guardian, sometimes they have never been out in the outdoors to speak of. And so when you look at it in that respect, there's always one there. So when you take that 35,000 kids, we're actually talking about 70,000 people that we've introduced mm -hmm. to hunting through the Texas Youth Hunting Program through Texas Wildlife Association. I know this year when I was talking to the hunt master that was with this group of kids that he had called me about it and said, you know, are you still, I said, yeah. I said, we're going to do it. I said, I'm not worried about any of this nonsense going on. Uh, but a lot of the programs didn't do it because of all this COVID. Oh, COVID. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, I'm actually, when I leave here, I've got to go down to between close to Harper, which is a little town outside of Fredericksburg and Kerrville, to speak to a group of youth hunters that they've got in on the place there that uh, we'll get a chance to spend some time with the young men and young ladies, and then, of course, their parents and guardians as well, too. And I've, looked, I've done several of those in the past, and they're, they're so rewarding in so many different ways. It is. Well, I mean, we've had groups out here where we've had the father, 
and son, but also a grandfather and, an, and another son. They come where both of the kids can hunt. And we've had some that have been out here and they, they go online when it's time to sign up again and they, they look for the hunt so they can come back yeah, here. They want to come back, and I can understand. They I just, can't blame them. <laughs> they, just, they, they, love, they love this country oh, this out here. and truly unique in so many ways. I take them out, and I'll show them some of the, the... I've got a creek bottom right over here by the... not too far from the house here that uh, over the years it has washed through an old Indian campsite, or the ancient ones, really, because the, the, the charcoal and ash from their fires is six foot deep or so through there and it's 30 40 foot wide right and you know a campsite like that was hundreds or thousands of years to build up to that much stuff. that much yeah oh yeah because it i mean these people around here they were nomadic they followed the game wherever the game went they went and as the game migrated they went with them and they come back to these places year after year after year yes sir and I can't think of a better history lesson for a child or even an adult. Me, just being here, seeing this stuff and whatnot is, is just, I mean, there's a lot of lessons, you know, uh, looking at, you know, the, what's happened here in the past and, yeah. and you know, the Indian, you know, the, the, the sites the sites that you've shown us and the arrowheads and the things you find out here and, and the history. It, there's just so much here and it's just pretty incredible. Well, it's, it's unfortunate now, I mean, Back when I was in school 40 plus years ago, you actually learned history and stuff. Now, it's non existent. They try to deny that the fact that there was history here. And right. A lot of times, unfortunately, that we live in some interesting times, quite frankly. We're going to kind of close this thing out here just a little bit because I want you to go show us that site that you're talking about down here behind below the house. But before we close this thing out, John, how does somebody get in touch with you? It, whether it's hunting whitetail, mule deer, individually, combination here in Texas, or pronghorn antelope out in New Mexico, what's what's the best way to contact you? Uh, they, uh, my home phone number is area code four three two eight three six four five two seven. My cell phone is area code eight six three seven eight one one two five four. If Florida pops up when you do that one. Don't don't worry. Uh, also, email J W Eason E A S O N the number three at hotmail dot com. And I've, I'm on Facebook also for the time being. And uh, you might find me on there, Eason Ranch, on there. But those are the ways to contact me, and we can talk. I, I prefer the phone over the texting and the typing because me and computers don't play well together. <laughs> with, with that said, too, Luke, I want to get you to fill us in because I, I saw you going, raising your finger. I, 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 me, 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 I love it. But yeah, yeah tell them through the radio and some of the other things that you we bet. do. The main thing, you know, folks, that I would like you to know, you can watch this hunt and you can meet Mr. Eason, A Sportsman's Life, which is on Pride Outdoor Network. Uh, it was actually, not to be bragging, but it was a top show uh, the last month. Uh, 
a sportsman's life that, that Larry is with us on. Jeff and I have been doing a while. Larry's been with us now for a long time. Mm -hmm. But Jeff, tell them how uh, Sportsman's Life, YouTube is just like a storage place for it. It's on Facebook too, but a Sportsman's Life is a good place, right? Right. You can just go to, um, if you have Roku or, or um, uh, some streaming mechanism, go to the streaming channels under sports and you'll find Pride Outdoor Network, and uh, we are on there. You can also find us on YouTube, just a Sportsman's Life. If you put it in the search engine, you'll find us there. Uh, there's links on your website, catfishradio.org. Uh, we can You can find it there, or you can even find it on my website, buckandbassranch.com. But there's, there's all sorts of ways to find us, just... Really, just Google Sportsman's Life. You probably find us out there. So, but yeah, this 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 show will come up in the next week or two. And um, John, we thank you so much for uh, allowing us to come out and, and enjoy this beautiful piece of uh, God's country. It's been amazing. It's been a pleasure. I mean, I've talked to Mr. Luke on the phone several times, and and did a couple radio shows over the phone with him. Never met him personally. Uh, I guess we met through Mr. Larry talking with him and and, and but uh, it's it's been a real pleasure meeting y'all have y'all here and we've had a lot of laughs I mean it's like I say not a, not maybe not a five star accommodations but uh, we have five star hospitality we're going to have I know they to differ with you it's way beyond that five star oh, yeah. <laughs> I would agree I second that uh, I'll start it in a, in a cooler full of I'm just Sitting here thinking about some good mule deer steaks right now. Is there a thing about some uh, We really do. I, it's you and I started. We got to be friends before I came here talking. Right. And, uh, just felt very comfortable having you on the radio show, and want you to do that a whole lot more. Amen. And I'm all my writing through the years in the radio and everything else is not just Luke went somewhere and did something. Well, okay, I kind of have to do that to do what I do, but the fact that I get to hook people up with a place like this, that's what really rings my bell. So, you know, thanks a lot, man. For part part of our thing is, I mean, here we've had, we've got hunters that they came out. Some of them been coming out 10 or 12 years now. They come back every year and they, like I told Mr. Larry yesterday, I had a, a real good friend I went to school with. We graduated together, football together, rodeoed together and back in Florida and he was about to cry because he couldn't make it out here this year. Yeah, yeah. And he just... I understand that. He said, I look forward, that is, <laughs> I look forward to that every year. More than anything is being able to come out here. It's peaceful, it's quiet. Um, it's, you know, like I say, it's, it's unique. This is absolutely fantastic country and you're such a fabulous host and this the animals that are here just are beyond compare so thank you very much one of the things i need to remind people of this year unfortunately we're not going to be able to be in person at the dsc convention and we're having a virtual event and you can find out more about that to where you can bid on hunts find out listen to the speakers learn about whoever's there and so many other things and to, to learn about that go to www.b I-G-G-A-M-E dot O-R-G. That's www.biggame.org. And have a look to see what's there. The site is up and running. 
That event's going to take place, I think, starting the 10th of February through the 13th or 14th. And uh, we really need your support, need everybody's support. DSC is the finest conservation hunting organization there is in the world. And, and without you as our members and your support, we're not going to be able to do what we've been able to do in the past. And with some of the situations we're, we're facing right now, not only here in North America, but worldwide, we really need the support of everybody that we can get who loves the outdoors, who loves hunting, who loves animals, whether you hunt or not, whether you fish, whatever. We need your support. So please learn more about us at www.biggame.org. And we'll see everybody here and maybe be around the campfire Mr. next week. Mr. Larry, here's one thing. Let me throw this one at you right quick before we go. Please. You're talking about DSC and they're doing their auctions for their hunts and all. How about we throw a hunt in there? Pronghorn antelope in New Mexico. With you. For this coming hunting season. We're going to sit down with this as soon as I sign off and we're going to make that official. Thank you very much. <laughs> My pleasure. Again, everybody, we'll see you all right back here next week. Don't forget to watch uh, The Sportsman's Life. on. Uh, you can watch it on Roku, as, as, as our guys have said, but you can. it's called The Sportsman's Life, and we're on the Pride Outdoor Network. You can sign up to it without any cost and watch this right there, and you'll actually be able to see some of the things that happen here on this hunt. See you all next week. DSC's Untamed Heritage is also brought to you by Texas Wildlife Association, working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas Raised Hunting Products, The Scent Gods, Kenetrek Boots, for the trail less traveled, Wildlife Systems, serving hunters and landowners since 1987. Boyt, the finest in hunting gear, and Pyramid Air, for all things air gun. Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.